Hi, my name is Kunal, and welcome to the Geeks of the Valley podcast, which connects with some of the brightest minds globally who are leading their respective industries today to discuss the hottest upcoming industry trends and how their work is affecting the global economy. This morning, from the San Francisco Bay Area, we have a very special guest who has joined us before. The ex-founder of Pureland and current advisor at TCL Ventures. Please welcome the founder and managing partner of Leonis Capital, Jay Zhao. Jay, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much. Um, it was fun chatting last time, so I'm happy to be here again. Thank you. And Jay, what have you been up to since we last spoke? It seems like you have been uh, making some pretty big moves uh, in the venture space recently. Yeah. Um, well, so since we talked last time, um, we talked about some of the investment that we uh, were doing um, at T-Fund um, across uh, US, China, and Israel. Um, and uh, what happened since then um, was that, you know, I still um, see a lot of good, good interesting companies. Um, uh, you know, my friend is starting companies and uh, uh, a lot of interesting AI-focused companies uh, come across the desk. So um, I started making, you know, personal investments into those companies. Um, and then um, what, well, one good thing that you want to do is to share the opportunity with the people that you enjoy working with. So we kind of uh, just talked to um, uh, my friends and uh, some of the uh, people who now become uh, LP to Leonis Capital uh, we just start deploying capital and uh, really um, uh, kind of be a good partner to these early stage companies. So um, fortunately, everything kind of come together uh, in a uh, in a rel- in a rather organic way uh, in a really kind of short um, amount of time as well. So um, I'm in the very fortunate position um, to do that. But at the same time, um, maybe you and I chat about it last time. Um, having spending time in venture for almost 10 years really make, make you think about what make a venture capital fund uh, lasting and enduring. So um, I always thought about, you know, uh, building a venture franchise or building a venture fund uh, in a similar way, like a startup, um, because there is a lot of innovation uh, that we can do um, uh, if you start a venture capital today, rather than, you know, uh, operating a venture capital model, a venture capital fund, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. So, I mean, long story short, um, I'm kind of in the found, uh, founder founder's seat again, uh, because um, uh, you have to um, kind of forget about everything that you know, um, and uh, just really build everything from scratch. Um, so in a lot of ways, um, you know, over the past few months, it's kind of like accelerated accelerated learning curve for myself personally, um, learns a lot, um, you know, by talking to founders, learns a lot by talking to LPs. So uh, it has been, um, you know, quite interesting um, experience over the past few months. So Jay, let's unpack this a bit, right? What is it like really starting a venture firm? Um, Is it truly similar to kind of starting or funding a startup? Um, If it is, what product are you selling to your customers? or in this case, to your LPs, when they're making the decision to invest or not into you? Yeah, so one thing I would say, uh, starting a venture fund, uh, 
it's uh, definitely not easier than starting a startup, um, maybe on the same level um, of uh, in terms of difficulties um, in that, if not more difficult, in that um, in venture capital business, we don't have um, a product per se, uh, like a software product, but what we're selling um, to um, LPs and also to founders is our ability to serve and our ability to make money for the LPs. And uh, oftentimes it's quite intangible, right? You can't really see it. Um, you can't really use it. You can't really touch it. But at the end of the day, um, that's the product or service that, that we're selling. Um, and uh, one thing that I would say, you know, uh, to the founders that we work with, especially over the past few months, is that, um, you know, at least as a founder, you know who to talk to. You talk to VCs whose mandate are to invest in tech companies, in you. So at least the, um, the, the, the audience pool is more targeted. You know who to talk to. But in the world of venture capital uh, fund, uh, in terms of searching for LPs, it is really, really um, um, somewhat blind or blurry uh, type of uh, uh, search experience. So, um, and then the other thing on top of that is uh, when uh, a VC say no to your company, it could be many reasons, right? It could be a rejection to the product. It could be the concern of product market fit. But um, when an LP uh, uh, say no to a venture fund, to me, I mean, frankly, it's really a rejection to me uh, as a person uh, because, um, uh, you know, that's, that, that's basically the whole idea about, um, you know, the venture capital fund is the GP, you know, who will carry out and uh, execute against uh, the investment strategy. So on the good side, um, um, uh, we have uh, had the uh, successful first close uh, with really amazing um, uh, founders and um, family offices as uh, LP. Uh, but on the other side, you know, you just get to get used to be punched in the face on a daily basis, right? You just have to tell the story, tell the vision, and uh, tell the core value um, of the venture uh, fund that you're trying to build. And, um, and then trying to paint the picture that, you know, like the company that we back, that will be enduring and successful companies. Um, so it's the venture fund that we're putting our heart and soul into um, as well. Um, going forward, you know, 10 years, 20 years, and 50 years later, you know, I can foresee uh, Leonis Capital be um, very um, enduring and uh, 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 scaled um, uh, venture franchise uh, that serve um, tech entrepreneurs, you know, globally. So that's a vision that we sell. Um, but anyway, um, that's kind of a, a high level summary uh, in a short paragraph uh, in terms of the experience of starting a venture capital fund. So you had really mentioned that you're selling this vision or, or, or strategy. Mm. So can you tell us a bit about this fund strategy and how it may be differed from when you were at TCL Ventures? Yeah, so um, uh, in, in some degree, it's, it's not that different um, in, in that we still focus on enterprise uh, software companies we still invest um, in both ecosystems uh, in the US and also China. Um, but in other ways, um, at 
uh, Leonis Capital, we're, uh, we're an independent venture fund. We have many different LPs um, to serve, and we have an advisor um, network uh, that we can bring to the table to help uh, entrepreneurs. So that, that's a little bit different than uh, running a corporate um, venture arm or corporate venture fund where you have one LP and, uh, you know, kind of arguably you have uh, advisors as well, except that advisor is coming from the BU side um, of a large corporation. Um, so, um, so that part, you know, um, is it, rather consistent. The, um, the other thing that I would say with uh, Leonis Capital um, is we focus on uh, a very um, kind of a concise thesis, if you will. We like um, automation economy companies. We like AI first companies. So, you know, you can throw different uh, label and different tech uh, t- uh, buzzword to those companies. But at its core, uh, what we believe, um, especially observing how technology evolve uh, over the past 30, 40 years uh, from infrastructure to internet, to cloud, to mobile, to what we believe the next trend is um, the uh, AI first uh, or AI driven uh, automation economy. Um, so, so that's, um, so we need, we need to kind of be laser focused in terms of the edge, in terms of the sector and in terms of thesis uh, that we're going after. So uh, as a first, uh, first fund, you know, we're a, a smaller fund than uh, many uh, well-established funds out there. So just like startups, you need to have a beachhead uh, strategy. Uh, that's, how, that's our edge. So we're going against, um, you know, uh, we execute against uh, this uh, investment thesis. Um, and the other thing that I would say uh, with uh, Leonis Capital is um, we tend to partner with uh, founders who have uh, global perspectives. Um, because if you buy into this whole uh, trend of automation economy um, companies or uh, how AI will bleed into different verticals of our real economy, such as healthcare, such as uh, uh, manufacturing, such as logistics, such as transportation, and such as fintech, then uh, inevitably you need to focus on two of the largest economy in the world, right? One is the US, uh, North America, and one is greater China. So uh, because my background, you know, I was, uh, I was born in China, you know, I'm immigrant uh, in the US. So we tend to attract uh, a lot, uh, a lot of uh, um, you know what we call the misfits, the outsiders, and oftentimes uh, the immigrant founders uh, in the U.S. Or they're the you know the um, uh, they could be the sea turtles, right? Uh, in the U.S., starting at top universities um, at Stanford, at Berkeley, at Harvard, at MIT, and then decided to you know go back to China and serve the China market over there. So we love those type of founders. Um, we, uh, although we don't kind of make, make it as a mandate to only back those uh, immigrant founders, it just tend to be the case that if you look at the, uh, the most iconic enduring companies, um, that, um, that was founded in the U S, uh, they tend to be founded by, you know, immigrant founders. So anyway, um, in terms of thesis, you know, AI first companies, automation economy companies, um, in terms of type of founders that we like, they just tend to be global minded founders. So Jay, you've really spoken about this fund strategy and you know how you intend to utilize it to invest in startup founders. But as a venture capital investor, you come across a breadth of different founders from different ethnicities and social backgrounds. 
are there certain groups of founders who tend to win more than others? If so, why is that? Maybe the personal story uh, is deeper for some founders compared to others, or maybe not. Yeah, no, um, that's a good question. Um, I think the uh, as we touched on a, a little bit before, um, the ideal um, type of founders, uh, they tend to have a different perspective um, of how things should be. And they tend to have a um, very deep conviction in terms of what type of uh, company that they want to build or what type of product that they want to build. Um, and this type of conviction is not really easy to come by. Um, because a lot of times we, you know, humans, uh, we tend to follow uh, what others like. We tend to follow the trend, tend to follow the crowd. Um, so if you were, say, in the position of always in the majority, then it's hard for you to think about things otherwise or think about how things should be done otherwise. Um, so we talk about the type of founders, uh, Leonis Capital, uh, like to back or tend to back are the ones, uh, what we call, you know, misfits, uh, the outsiders, and oftentimes immigrant founders. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, why that has been the case. Um, so when I talk about immigrant founders, um, you know, they can be immigrant founders from Canada, immigrant founders from UK to the US, or immigrant founders from uh, India and from China. Um, and they all represent a different point of view uh, against the status quo. So, um, and, and if you think about the idea and the fundamental behind that idea um, is that you have to be a contrarian um, and be um, you know, brave enough to stand against the, the norm. Um, so personally, you know, I'm an immigrant myself um, and I know how hard it is to, um, you know, to see things differently than the majority um, of people in the U.S. when I first arrived. Um, and I remember the feeling of, you know, um, trying to fit in. Uh, that's kind of first, uh, you know, humans' first uh, um, instinct, right? You try to fit in. But at the same time, you have this chip on your shoulder that you try to prove something. You try to prove that, um, you know, you're um, uh, like, you try to prove yourself uh, at the end of the day. So um, I think many story has been shared. Uh, if you look at the tech history, like you know companies like Yahoo, you know companies like DoorDash, and uh, many other companies, um, they were founded by immigrant founders. And uh, you know I think the deeper reason is what we uh, just talked about. So um, so I think that's an important piece um, to keep in mind. You know, as we um, as we think about you know the uh, what you know what we call the the founder a founder market fit, right? So why does the founder want to solve that particular problem? And oftentimes, you know, as uh, you talked early, the earlier stage of company that you go into, the more it's about the founder's uh, uh, own very conviction, founder's uh, own conviction um, to certain problem, and um, that tend to come from. Uh, his or her own personal experience uh, into those problems. So um, it just happened to be the case that, you know, if you are different, you tend to have a way broader spectrum of different experience than, um, than, than being one of, one of the majority um, um, of users or of, you know, different um, 
you know, set of uh, 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 kind of use case of companies. So, uh, so that's one, one type. And then the second thing, uh, when we evaluate, uh, kind of think about the founders we like to work with, um, we kind of hold it to, well, it's not a rule, but we do want to connect with founders in a way uh, that we feel like we can be a long-term partners going forward. Um, in venture business, uh, I'm sure you probably uh, seen enough people at this point, there are all very different type of people. Um, there are type of people uh, are very transactional and um, uh, they can be very aggressive, but you know, very transactional and they can be successful as well uh, on both VC and founder side. Uh, but that's not our type of people, uh, frankly speaking. Um, on our side, our philosophy um, is that we wanna be a long-term partner to the founder and also to the company. And what that means is that you know, we have to uh, be able to be honest and truthful with each other in terms of debate uh, that we hold uh, for the benefit of the, of the company. Um, and the, sometimes if you talk to the founders that we have worked with, um, oftentimes we might not be the biggest check writer into those companies, but we tend to be the most helpful um, or the most, uh, uh, one of the most invest, uh, one of the investors are most empathetic to the problem that they're trying to build. Uh, trying to solve. Um, so I know it's kind of abstract to talk about these type of stuff, uh, but as a former founder myself, um, you know, I often encourage uh, junior VCs to experience starting a company, uh, either uh, him or herself, or join an early stage company uh, to experience that early struggle, right? So for me right now, like starting Leonis Capital is really reliving that experience because um, you do have to have that um, uh, grit and, uh, and mental strength to keep moving forward, um, you know, uh, despite of um, receiving rejection and receiving uh, no's at, uh, on a daily basis. Um, so anyway, but one thing that I will kind of just wrapping up this kind of a long uh, list of uh, points about, but the other, the other thing um, to to, to dimension is that either starting a company or starting a venture fund is not all bad, right? You know, so don't get scared by it or don't get uh, put off by, uh, by the challenges. Um, at the same time, there are wonderful things that happen um, throughout the process. But one, we talk about you learn a, a lot because whenever you start something new, it's like you just crunch the learning experience into a very condensed period of time. So you definitely learn a lot uh, during that period of time. But the other thing is that when you get yes uh, from people that you try to bring on board, uh, I can't describe that experience um, you know, with words. Um, but one example is, you know, I, it is a really humbling experience because um, I have founders uh, who I work with and who I backed uh, as a VC, uh, they came back and become an LP in my fund. Um, and that's a really humbling experience because um, that means that they really trust me um, and now they have me to, uh, to invest in, uh, in, in the product that I'm building, uh, which is the venture fund. Um, but what's more humbling experience uh, for me personally throughout um, the stage of building Leonis Capital was the founders uh, who I didn't back uh, as a VC, who I took a pass um, at the time, but 
he had, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's surprising to me uh, and it's kind of weird for me to tell the story, but he ended up coming back as LP and not as LP, he invited um, all his um, uh, other partners uh, at his current company to, um, to join as LP. So he made tons of, tons of introduction, uh, even though I did not invest in his last company. So uh, for those type, uh, those people, uh, those LPs, and you know, uh, they have a very special place in my heart. Um, uh, you know, going forward, um, if um, and when Leonis scale into a bigger fund and bigger platform, and I think that's the beauty of early stage investment. So I'm talking about Leonis Capital, um, you know, in the early stage of building out, but you know, in startup term, we're at the C stage, we're at the Series A stage, early stage, um, and that's the kind of the beauty of early stage investing. And then why I love it um, is because when we invest in certain companies, the bond, the bonding between the founder and uh, the VC, um, it, uh, a lot of times it's, it's going beyond the capital. It's going beyond just the transaction. So that's kind of the philosophy that we hold uh, you know, near and dear to how we operate the fund. Jay, thank you for that story, especially that last... Uh... Comedy kind of mentioned, right, about that, how you didn't initially invest into the founder, but the founder came back as an LP, uh, very deep. Uh, yeah. One of the points that I wanted to really uh, unpack a bit that you'd mentioned was this aspect of a transactional founder or investor versus someone who isn't uh, as transactional, but more relationship driven. And as an investor, you're seeing founders every day. Um, how do you gauge and how quickly can you tell when a founder is a transactional person versus, you know, someone um, who's, who's more relationship driven? Yeah. So, so one red flag, um, um, yeah, well, maybe yellow flag uh, is sometimes it's not a deal breaker, but it's something that we would pay attention to, um, which is, um, you know, if a founder focused way too much on the valuation, and uh, use that as a benchmark for um, you know, comparison with you know, uh, his or her competitors or his or, or, or her peers, then that's problematic. Um, the reason being that as a founder, um, you know, as a former founder, I understand where did that person come from because you want to raise the most capital at the um, uh, smallest um, uh, dilution that makes sense. But I think there was a fine line between, between uh, you know, kind of leveraging and then making sure the company uh, get the most capital it need without diluting too much of the existing shareholder versus, um, you know, kind of, a, um, kind of over-optimizing on the valuation on the cap to the degree that you, you, don't, you no longer care about the quality of the investor um, uh, that you're going to bring to the cap table. So the, um, the deeper reason for that is um, either as investor or as a founder, we have to recognize one thing, uh, which is we serve um, the health and the benefit of the company. So what that means is that um, if you over-optimize on the valuation, ultimately, you know, it hurts the company's chance to raise a healthy next round because you just set the expectation, expectation too high. Um, and you know, if um, you are not acting in the best interest of the company, then, um, then 
you know, that could mean two things. One, that you, you, you're not uh, strategic enough to think long-term about how to build an enduring company. All the second part is that you, you might have, you know, um, you, you might care more about the ego comparison of those numbers than, uh, than the, uh, the, in the process of building out a, a, a long-term company. So, so that, that's one of the things um, that, you know, kind of often come up, right? Especially when you have a more competitive round. Um, but the good thing is that oftentimes, you know, when we talk with founders, um, they, especially the one that do care about building a long-term company, uh, building an uh, enduring company, uh, once you explain to them, um, because many founders, they are first-time founders, they never went through the, uh, the fundraising process before. But once you explain to them, you know, why uh, it's not always uh, in company's best interest to get the best, uh, the highest valuation, you know, they get it um, and they, uh, they kind of understand the rationale and, um, you know, they will kind of, uh, you know, just follow that advice all, all kind of uh, plan accordingly. Um, so, so that, uh, those type of companies uh, and the founders, uh, we would like a lot because uh, from day one, even before we make the investments, we felt like it's already like a partnership. Uh, that's how we discuss business matters. That's how we discuss um, the, you know, how to approach and, and what's the best strategy, including fundraising, you know, for the health of the company. So Jay, I want to take a turn in the conversation to a very interesting article you recently wrote called The Long-Term Truth. And you kind of talked a bit about SPACs, mm-hmm. uh, quantitative easing, right? Mm-hmm. And last but not least, the overconfidence and complacency of gaining easy money due to day trading. And I think you kind of saw that recently with the, uh, the uh, GameStop situation. Yep. Tell us a bit more about uh, this article you wrote and touch on each of these topics. Yeah, no, sure. Happy to. Um, so uh, I have this uh, Substack um, newsletter, uh, which I kind of just write it for fun, uh, for my own entertainment in a, in a lot of ways. Um, because it's, um, you have, you have to think about this topic as an investor, either you are in the public side or in the private side. So over the past few months, um, I think what's interesting is, um, there are a lot of, um, uh, a lot of hot money, you know, into different places and, um, especially on the public market side, now with SPAC, now with, um, you know, meme driven stocks, um, and, um, uh, you know, to, to, to some degree, you know, even though I'm long, um, I'm bullish for blockchain and the cryptocurrency, but I think to a lot of degree, um, people are, are very excited, overly, overly excited um, about the crypto cryptocurrency space. So I'm saying this kind of against my own interest because I do hold some cryptocurrency, but as a whole, um, you know, when people are acting in a way um, uh, that's kind of irrational, all kind of uh, acting in a way that doesn't have conviction, uh, then that's when, you know, uh, Warren Buffett's favorite, favorite quote, right, uh, or famous quote is be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. So I think this is the moment when, you know, we should be fear- fearful because many other people, especially the public market side, has been kind of uh, irrational and, and greedy over um, optimistic about many things uh, without conviction. So that's kind of uh, what um, catalyzed um, that, uh, that essay. And then, um, and then you, know, you kind of want to think deeper, um, uh, just like what's 
So if that's the case, then what should we do, and how should we kind of think about oh think about the uh, the right framework of how should we um, kind of uh, avoid um, you know falling falling into such a trap. Um, and then I run into uh, that interview um, Jeff Bezos did in 1999, um, and then later on he did many interviews, kind of talk about the same thing, kind of over and over again uh, over the past 20 years, which he was talking about, you know, holding this long-term truth. Um, it's it's kind of like a cliche to say, oh, you know, of course, you know, you want to seek truth, you want to seek the long-term truth, but it's a lot easier said than done for the reason that we. Uh, we, we described uh, before, um, but I think fundamentally what seeking long-term truth means that you have to look into the future and uh, you whatever you're building, you know, as a founder or as a VC, right, whatever you're investing, you're not investing in the now, but you're investing in the future that's, uh, that's about to come, you know, five to 10 years later. Um, in Amazon's case, uh, when they were building out uh, uh, AWS, when they were building out the prime uh, delivery infrastructure, they were not building out for uh, that year or that quarter, but they were building so, so in a way, they're not building for that customers who are in front of them, but they're building for the customers uh, from the future, you know, five or 10 years uh, into the future. And that's pretty remarkable thing to do, uh, if you think about it, because in order to do that, you have to have a vision, and in order to have a vision, you have to have a conviction, right? So we talk about, um, you know, everything should be conviction driven, either you are a builder or you're an investor. So that's kind of uh, the, you know, the gist of, um, of, uh, uh, of, the, uh, of seeking long-term truths. Um, and the other point I'll kind of throw in there is um, oftentimes like uh, we overcomplicate things like in our head. Um, either in our personal life or in um, uh, as an investor, uh, either you invest in public stock or, or any, other, uh, any other things, um, because we're trying to predict a short-term outcome. You know, we will pay attention to a lot of news, a lot of uh, kind of uh, the, you know, the stats from this uh, Wall Street Journal, you know, maybe the unemployment rate is this, and, and therefore you should, you know, trade that. Um, I think those are just short-term um, uh, speculation uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, you cannot really predict that. Um, on the contrary, uh, I do think you can predict the long-term um, outcome or the long-term trend. And um, when I say predict, uh, meaning that you, know, you can have a better visibility uh, in terms of where our society is going. Um, so, you know, without kind of going too deep into it, right? So we now talk more about sustainability. We now talk uh, in the software world, we now talk about the software getting smarter and getting more automated, and uh, which is our thesis in this automation economy companies. Um, that will happen, you know, no matter what. Um, it's a matter of time. And it's a matter of time of, you know, five years and 10 years of time horizon. So in a lot of ways, you can predict the future and the longer, ironically, the, the longer term it is, the easier it is to hold that view or to get the outcome than trying to master um, the, the short-term outcome. So, so that's kind of like um, uh, uh, something I've been thinking a lot about just you know, kind of between 
my uh, Zoom meetings and then, you know, just, you know, uh, within uh, hikes um, with people. Um, so I thought, you know, it would be good to uh, put, put those thinking and put those thoughts uh, into essay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think uh, the other thing I, I kind of realized, I sort of uh, learned this uh, along the way, but the kind of the older that you grow, the, the more you realize uh, making investment or being a good investor um, is really about kind of understanding the higher level truths. So that's why if you, uh, that's why Warren Buffett, he reads so much. That's why the best investor um, that I know in both VC side and also the public side, they're more like a philosopher in, in a lot of ways, because um, uh, at the end of the day, um, you make investment. Uh, it's a statement that how you see the world and how you, um, how you, how you bet that the world should be moving that direction. So, um, so that's kind of entering into the kind of territory uh, of uh, philosophy uh, rather than the, you know, the kind of the uh, number crunching, uh, you know, financial modeling. Not that it's not important. It is important. It's just that you have to have a kind of a high, high dimension uh, point of view, as well as the, the grounded truth, which in, in a lot of cases is the fundamental analysis that come with the financial analysis, uh, number crunching and the many things that we uh, also do as well. So to understand these high-level trends, you should basically read a lot. So what have been some interesting reads which have further helped you develop your global perspective as a current venture investor? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's something that, it's something that uh, any investor uh, should um, try to, um, you know, try to do. Uh, just kind of uh, keep a regular schedule on reading uh, different books. Um, I'm saying this because I, I need to be, you know, better at it as well. Uh, especially when things get, uh, deal meetings get intense, you kind of have that, um, uh, have that, uh, session, uh, or schedule, uh, uh being forego. Um, but yeah, like we talk about, like the best investors, they definitely read a lot. Um, and it's amazing how much, uh, knowledge and, and, uh, information that they can consume and therefore form their own framework and form their own thesis our conviction on certain things. Uh, for me, um, I um, I have read um, uh, you know the com the books about uh, AI, the books about you know U.S. and China, the books about innovation in different uh, uh, innovation ecosystems. But uh, lately, um, there are a few books I um, I'm reading uh, simultaneously simultaneously at the same time. Um, and they, uh, somewhat interesting. So one is called uh, The Nature of Technology by uh, Brian Arthur. And the second one is called uh, Scale. Uh, it's by uh, Geoffrey West. And the third one is kind of like academic book. Uh, it's called Explaining Technical Change by John Elster. So these three books are uh, interesting in the way that um, they, they, they were written from different time. Um, I think explaining technology change, probably the oldest uh, one, and it's more kind of academic. And the, new, the newer one maybe scale or the nature of technology, uh, those two books. But what they talk about is um, they kind of take a step back and uh, look at the technology evolution um, kind of like a living and breathing thing, like an evolving organism. Um, I thought that was a really interesting perspective. Um, so I 
don't know if I talked about this much uh, before, at least publicly. Um, so my first major in college was in biology. And I just intrigued and super still intrigued uh, by how things works in nature. Um, and people ask me like, what, you know, what's your favorite movie? And I mean, I do have favorite movie, but I do enjoy uh, a lot of the, the, a lot of documentaries on Netflix, uh, the, uh, the Earth series is a wonderful, uh, wonderfully made documentary because it's kind of explain, uh, you know, how creatures and how uh, species, they, uh, they adapt um, and, and evolve uh, along with nature. And then sometimes they have to compete, right? So um, uh, through the, you know, years of doing venture investing, especially investing in startups, right? We do a lot of analysis. We try to understand the dynamics between the bigger guys and the smaller guys. We try to understand the market, the market sizing. And in this case, you know, it, the market is is a jungle, right? It could be a jungle. It could be e emerging uh, ecosystem, um, you know, in uh, in ecology's uh, perspective. Um, so these three books. So I always thought, like, you know, if you look at startups, they're really like um, like a, like a creature, like a uh, like an organism. But these three books, they kind of just put things in in a very clear perspective and framework. Um, how we should view technology, um, and obviously they explain things much better than 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 I can. Um, you know, uh, for example, explaining techno uh, technical change. That book, um, the author kind of take a very academic approach, and I've talked about three different theories um, how tech evolve. Uh, there's a class classic theory. There is a biological um, kind of perspective, and there is a third one uh, that's evolved with more statistics. Um, and then the other two um, uh, basically just focus on the biology perspective, um, which is if you think about uh, bigger companies, they share a similar type of uh, life expectancy curve, the curve of like life expectancy, just like a human being. Um, and um, with another book, you know, it's kind of talk about, you know, as a startup, there are certain things that you should do or certain things that you would, uh, you will adapt to so that you can be disruptive and you can be uh, dangerous, uh, you know, uh, quote dangerous to the incumbent, to the other, you know, bigger species. Um, so it's all kind of connected uh, in the type of technology investment uh, that we do. So um, the other uh, post uh, or the essay that we talked about at the last, um, uh, last chat was this, uh, you know, what defines these AI first companies and what other characteristics against, um, I mean, with these AI first companies. Uh, again, I mean, it's similar to the biology world, all right? These AI first companies, they have different type of uh, DNA, if you will, uh, but in a lot of ways, they can accumulate uh, the data network effect much faster. Therefore, they can accumulate or kind of create the uh, do the value creation much bigger and much faster and much more uh, global than the previous um, incumbent, um, that is the typical, you know, on-premise uh, software companies or the typical uh, classic uh, SaaS company. So that's why we kind of build the whole fund thesis against um, this automation economy companies and AI first companies. And for any of the listeners who want to uh, read these articles in more detail, please subscribe to Jay's Substack called the next trillion. The website is nextrillion 
www.substack.com. Jay, last but not least, uh, to wrap up our call with our last question for today, uh, any advice uh, for our listeners out there? Yes. Um, so for advice, um, I would say this. I, I will share some uh, lesson or uh, experience that I learned um, from last year to this year. Um, so last year, I think, has been pretty tough for a lot of people. Um, and I think this year we're heading towards a you know, better direction and a better situation, hopefully with COVID behind us soon. Um, what I have learned um, is um, sometimes, you know, when the, um, when the average things, when the, um, the things that you didn't expect that took place, it might be the best thing that ever happened to you. Um, when COVID happened, um, you know, uh, a lot of impact that has happened to my work and, and um, you know, has happened to many others. Um, but uh, for me, uh, that was, that might be the best thing ever because it kind of pushed me uh, in terms of thinking about what I really want to do and what I really want to build. Um, and that's why, um, uh, and then that's one of the reasons that I'm finally starting uh, Leonis Capital and um, being able to work with many amazing founders and um, uh, having uh, really good LPs and investors who believe in the fund in me to come on board. Now, if it were in a regular time, in the regular year, uh, I think these type of jump um, might be harder because uh, you are so busy just doing every things that you, you get used to, right? You know, for my job, you know, kind of hopping to different cities and always kind of hopping uh, between different airports, um, it kind of become a, a, a usual thing. I would kind of just um, kind of stay busy for the sake of staying busy without doing much of an internal uh, reflection. So um, now as we are at the end of the tunnel, um, as we hope, um, you know, I think people, um, certainly myself included, you know, hopefully we'll come out uh, stronger and uh, more clear um, about things, the things that we want to do. Um, and when you have that conviction and we, we decide uh, the things that you want to do, I mean, don't be afraid um, because you will never know unless you try. Um, and in my case, I certainly, I'm certainly grateful and happy that, you know, I did make that jump. And although it's scary, uh, although it was quite, uh, um, quite, uh, quite frustrating when you get, you know, rejections on a daily basis, but um, at the same time, you know, if you don't try, you'll never know. So I, was, I will leave it at that. Um, and hopefully that's helpful to somebody out there. Jay, for listeners out there who want to potentially catch a cup of coffee with you or just meet up uh, post-COVID, uh, what would be the best point of contact? Yeah, so they can just send me an email. Um, it's um, jay at leonisapp.com. Um, if they just search J uh, Leonis Capital, I think this should come up um, uh, uh, on, on, on the on the Google uh, website. And uh, my email is just J. J, it was a pleasure having you on. Ge- it was a pleasure having you on Geeks of the Valley, and thank you so much for joining us. We hope to have you again. Thank you so much. Uh, it was fun.